through all of the history stuff that I've done on Lockdown Vikings this summer, this is one of the people that I'm most excited to talk about. It's Joe Cap, my favorite vintage Viking. Welcome to the Lockdown Vikings podcast. <laughs> You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's 2011. The Canadian Football League Alumni Luncheon just a thing to like honor old players. And up on the stage is Joe Cap, and the like host of the event brings on Angelo Mosco. Now, you got to know about Angelo Mosco. He was a wrestler in the 70s and in the 60s. He was a fearsome lineman um, for the Hamilton Tiger Cats, I think, of the CFL. And he was known as something of a dirty player, but he was also like big, imposing, kind of mean, and and he hit you and it it hurt. Um, In the 51st Grey Cup, all the way back in 1963, uh, he, Angelo Mosca, laid a hit on the BC Lions running back, and Joe Cap was the quarterback for those BC Lions. Um, this was a controversial hit, and it, there's still video of it. You can look it up for yourself. You be the judge, and if it's actually a late hit, at best it's a bang bang play. Uh, but needless to say, Joe Cap was very upset about this. A big part of it is that running back. His name was Willie the Wisp Fleming. I love the 60s nicknames. Um, and he was the key to the entire BC Lions offense. And when he went down, that, that dirty hit knocked him out of the game. When he went down, the BC Lions totally fell apart. They end up losing the game to the Tiger Cats. This sparked a grudge that Joe Cap held for his entire life. Um, and th- those two were bitter rivals, right? Fast forward to 2011, this alumni event. Uh, Angelo Mosca comes up and, uh, you know, kind of sits down and Joe Cap has a little flower and he's, it's an olive branch. It's very clearly a joke. I mean, it's the dinkiest little flower you've ever seen. And he's like clearly not actually offering peace. He's just messing with the guy. And, uh, Angelo Mosca's got the flower right in his face and Angelo Mosca kind of swats it away and Cap like puts it back in his face. He swats it away again. And, uh, then Mosca, who at this point in his life is old and he walks with a metal cane, swings his metal cane at Joe Cap. What does Joe Cap do? Now, keep in mind, he's in his 70s. He's like slouched over, gray hair. This is not a man in his physical prime. Cold clocks him, right hook, right to the jaw. Old men fighting on stage at an alumni event in front of a huge crowd. You cannot stop Joe Cap from fighting. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Locked On Vikings podcast. I am your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. Shows on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. And thank you so much for making Locked On Vikings your first listen of the day. I wanted to start with that story because it is so Joe Cap. There's so many moments that are so uniquely only Joe Cap. And his autobiography is full of them. All sorts of really fun anecdotes. Half of them end in fistfights like that one. It's called The Toughest Chicano, A Life of Leadership. Uh, and it's what I have been reading lately. Um, it's awesome. I love Joe Cat so much. Like, 
way too much for a guy that only played for three years as a Viking. But he is, of course, etched in Vikings legend because he was the quarterback of the first time the Vikings went to the Super Bowl, that juggernaut 1969 season where they go lose to the Chiefs. That was Joe Cap. He coined the slogan for that team, 40 for 60. It was 40 players on the roster back then. All 40 players, all 60 minutes. 40 for 60. We're team guys. And there's all sorts of legends, and we're going to get to as many of them as we can. But, of course, in a half hour, I cannot cover all of them. Um, but I do want to start with his first foray into pro football. He was a Cal Golden Bear at, in college, and Cal, in what I think would have been like the 50s, late 50s, um, was ran like an option-style offense with a lot of running in it. So you didn't get to see a lot of Joe Cap, and therefore... There wasn't a lot of tape on him, but he played well enough to finish fifth in Heisman voting that year. Still fell all the way to the 18th round, and that was where he was drafted in the NFL, a thing that used to be a thing. They used to draft like all the way down that far. So he was an 18th round draft pick, ends up going instead to the Calgary Stampeders. GM of the Calgary Stampeders at the time, Jim Finks. You will find his name in the Vikings Ring of Honor and the Hall of Fame. He's the G- he was the GM for all of, uh, I think, from 65 all the way through, like, 85. So, yeah, the 70s and the dynasty and all that. Like, he made all those moves. He was that GM that built that. Um, but at the time, he was in Canada with the Calgary Stampeders. And he liked Joe Cap So much so, and this is a cold lesson in business, as, jo- as Joe Cap puts it, um, so much so that... He basically told all the NFL teams, oh, yeah, that Joe Cap guy, he actually like really wants to play in Canada. So, you know, draft him at your own peril. He really wants to come here and play for Canada. And so he fell all the way because that rumor circulated and none of the NFL teams wanted him. And then Jim Fink said, yeah, I'll pay you more than they'll pay their 18th round draft pick. Um, and so there he goes. He goes to Canada, right? Um, and then when it comes to his move to the NFL, again, there's weird... Jim Fink's shenanigans and he says like, you know, every move that I made was basically because of that guy. And he describes Jim Fink's as like this sort of sleazy backroom deal maker, which I like as a GM, I guess. Sure. Um, but it's, I mean, he's, he's grateful for all, all of the places he ended up. Right. But his journey to the NFL is similarly tumultuous and he has this deep disdain for the business side of football. And he talks all about it. He says, you know, I was really upset then about not getting drafted higher and he didn't get a call, but he says, you know, but now I'm going to read a passage right out of the book. Uh, but now I have come to believe that the player's draft is unnecessary, un-American and grossly overproduced. But at the time I was insulted. Like what a king. (laughs) I love it. There's so much cool stuff like that. So he hates the control that teams have over players. Keep that in mind. That's going to come up later. Um, But that is very central to a lot of the things Joe Cap does throughout his career, uh, especially after his his playing days end, which they end kind of unceremoniously. But uh, before we get into all of that, let me talk to you about your car. You got to take care of your car. And if you're trying to take care of your car and you're worried about the cost, let me see if I can't give you a little trick. Let's say your car needs some kind of repair. You need a new part, right? Well, a a mechanic or like a brick-and-mortar auto shop, they are going to try to upcharge you 30, 50, even 100% more for the exact same parts that you could get at rockauto.com. 
Don't go to a brick and mortar auto shop and be like, hey, do you have this part? Like, oh, we'll have to special order it and there's a fee and it'll be eight to 10 business days. No, 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 none of that. Go to rockauto.com, enter your make your year and your model, and you can get whatever car part they're trying to upcharge you for, probably the exact same one that they would order from the exact same like assembly line, but you're getting it shipped direct to your door, cutting out that middleman, and therefore it's saving you a buck. Rock Auto's been doing this online for 15 years. It is a honed machine. Their catalog is insanely huge. Again, just enter your make, year, and model and search out whatever part you need. You'll have parts that are compatible with your car. Then go to a mechanic and say, hey, can you just install this and I'll pay you for the labor? You save some money. So uh, you can also find like uh, jumper cables or you know random like everyday car supplies there. Go to rockauto.com, whatever it is you buy there. Make sure you let them know that Locked On sent you. Because if you don't, the rabbits will greenlight Morbius 2. Rock Auto, amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Joe Cap's play style is very one of a kind. If you're looking for a modern comparison, you're not going to find one. They don't make quarterbacks like Joe Cap anymore. And somebody who is like Joe Cap is never going to make it in the NFL. Um, but if you want the closest thing I can think of that Vikings fans will be familiar with, it's Case Keenum. Case Keenum, he never had that much arm strength. He was not the most ridiculously talented guy. He could run fine enough. He could throw fine enough. He could hit, you know, 70% of the throws, and he could read half-field reads fine, right? And that made him a backup quarterback in the NFL, but he had this gamer mentality, right? He had this uh, this this improv gene that's that's kind of what made him cool was that it was he was like all heart no talent, and Joe Cap, that's not a fair thing to say about Joe Cap. Like it's not a perfect comparison, but Joe Cap was very much all heart, and his technique and mechanics were so wrong, man. And, and if you try to tell him this today, I mean you can't really tell him this today because he's suffering from Alzheimer's and dementia and complications from ALS and a lot of the brutality that he took, you know, in his, in his playing days, um, which is also part of the book that is kind of detailing his like descent into like realizing that his mind isn't all there. It's very sad part, but I digress. Um, he denies to, until he can, he can't anymore that this, there was anything wrong with this, but he did not throw with the laces. He very often did not throw with his feet on the ground. He was a jump passer. Like, you remember when Tavares Jackson used to do that? Or, like, Tim Tebow did that a lot, and we all made fun of him? Joe Cap was a jump passer, but he would find it. And it would be wobbly. There'd be no spiral to it. There'd be, like, very little velocity velocity on it. But, oh, my God, it's a touchdown anyways somehow. And he would run around, and he would get... He, it wasn't like scrambling like Tarkenton. I mean, Tarkenton played like Russell Wilson a little bit, where it's just you're just buying infinite time, or like Kyler Murray a little bit, like just buying infinite time. Um, but Tarkenton didn't like go downfield a lot. Joe Cap went downfield, and then when somebody was coming to tackle him, that dude didn't slide. That dude didn't dive. He lowered his shoulder and he took the hit. Famously, he knocked out Jim Houston once in the 1969 NFL Championship on the frozen turf of Metropolitan Stadium. He knocked out a linebacker. That's part of what makes Joe Cap so cool is watching his highlight reel and watching him play. It's a lot of plays that have absolutely no business being complete. But for Cap, that was par for the course. You can't be you you can't go to the sideline and say, like, ah, you gotta throw that with the laces next time, because that's just how he plays. And like, holy crap, this works out a lot. He was a very good quarterback, <laughs> despite not really playing it like anybody else played it. And he always pushed that boundary. It was almost like pushing like our idea of what good quarterbacking is 
because, I mean, it means to an end, right? You get that thing complete however you get it complete. We kind of don't care, right? We generally think you throw spirals, that should complete more passes, but, like, holy crap, I guess not for him. I guess it works. Like, whatever. Who am I to say no? There are two particular stories I want to tell you about uh, his time on the Vikings. Um, One was when he first came in. So he comes to the Vikings in a very interesting way. Um, He goes to, first he was going to sign with Houston. He had told his managers and and the the brass at the CFL, the people that needed to be aware of this, hey, I think I'm going to the NFL. And he goes and he flies into Houston to go sign. This is still the AFL with Bud Bud Adams and the Houston Oilers. This is all pre-merger, right? It's 1967. And there, it's like very back alley because this is this is tampering. This is like before it should be okay to go, like before it's it's open season on like free agent CFL, and he's like breaching contracts and stuff. It's legal, but it's tampering. It's against the rules of the of the league. Um, so it's all very hush hush with the Oilers. But they say, okay, you know, we'll give you a contract. Here's the terms. You're gonna sign it. Okay, great. Um, well, something leaks, right? Because by the time he gets on a plane and he's back in Vancouver where he's living at the time. Um, he sees headlines in the paper the next morning, you know, Joe Cap signs with Houston, but that was tampering. So here's two things happen there. A, the deal gets voided by the NFL. B, the CFL bans him for negotiating with the NFL. And that was a rule they had that like, if you're a CFL player, we don't want to lose you to the NFL. So if you go to the NFL, you can't play here anymore. Um, it's like, if you're going to go to the NFL, you better have it down. So suddenly he's completely out of work. Now, deep in the way things worked at the time, Washington still had Joe Cap's rights. Now, again, these were separate leagues, but at that point, they were starting to merge and they were starting to basically come to agreements that you can't just like AFL teams can't just sign away NFL players. I mean, they're having like exhibition games together and stuff, so you can't tamper. So technically, Washington still owned the rights to Joe Cap. And it's like, if you're going to go to the NFL, you're going to either play for Washington or they're going to trade you. Well, who gets wind of this situation? But two years into his stint with the Vikings, Jim thinks. And he calls up Washington and he makes a little trade and he gets Joe Cap in the building. They also brought in Bud Grant that year. But through all of that drama, he missed training camp. So... Bob Barry was starting for the 1967 Vikings and Bob Barry was like a career backup, um, like a chase Daniel type. Like this is a guy you do not want starting for your team. And, uh, but I mean, they were still, it was Bud Grant's first year. They were coming off of all this Norm Van Brocklin, Fran Tarkenton drama. Um, and so that was the, the case. They go up against the Rams. Now the Rams of the, of the late sixties and early seventies were a really, really cool franchise. And it's kind of only the Vikings fault that they didn't like make it any further than they did. Um, but the, the, those seventies Rams, not unlike the Vikings had fearsome defenses and, you know, they won their division every year and they were always in it and they just always lost to the Vikings in the playoffs. Um, like it ask old Rams fans what they think of the Vikings. It's like the, the old, how old Vikings fans think of like the Cowboys. It's like hatred, but that is to say very fearsome. You got like Deacon Jones in, uh, in, in a Rams uniform. Um, and he's, they called him the secretary of defense in LA. He's a very, very scary guy. And this fearsome Rams defense has knocked out two quarterbacks. So Joe cap has to go in, not really comfortable with the playbook at all, not really knowing what he's doing, but he's the only guy who can throw a football that can stand up right now. So he goes in. Joe Cap, never one to back down from a fight. He, he gets in the huddle, and he says, we're going on three, all right? Here's the play, on three, not two, three. And he goes up to the line, and he says, hut one, hut two, 
F you, Deacon, Hut 3, and all the Rams are laughing, and they're so taken aback by this. The play was a, uh, a handoff to Bill Brown. Bill Brown runs for 30 yards because they were taken aback by this, and it ended up being a total blowout. The Rams kicked the crap out of the Vikings uh, in that game, uh, but that was a moment that gained him the respect of all of his teammates, and Joe Cap had kind of arrived on the stage, and he would be the starting quarterback from there on out all the way up through 69 when he left. There's one other story that I want to tell you, but before I get into it, let me talk to you about a good old Gramble. If you want to bet on the modern Vikings, you can do that right now. You can go to bet online. You can bet on week one odds, if they're going to beat the Packers or not. You can bet on how they're going to finish in the division. Do you think they might win it? Are we feeling that? Is it that time of summer already? Or maybe you could just bet on them getting second place in the division. Feels like a decent bet to me. Uh, you can bet on uh, win totals and will they make the playoffs, stuff like that. You can also just bet on like Twins games, uh, any MLB, WNBA games. You can bet um, on anything, MMA, golf, tennis, whatever you can find at betonline.net where the game starts. There's one more story I want to tell you about Joe Cap and his time with the Vikings. You know a lot about the 69 team and stuff like that. I don't need to really rehash that. You might actually know this story if you've watched the uh, the Missing Rings, the NFL films, kind of the spinoff from America's Game. That's for teams that like maybe should have won but didn't. And the 69 Vikings actually have one there. Um, this story is in there too. But the way Joe Cap tells it is the way I'll tell it. Um, this is also 1967. It was a game against Vince Lombardi's Packers, and they had a chance to sweep. They had actually beaten Vince Lombardi's Packers earlier in that season, and they had a chance to sweep them. Um, that game ended in a loss where the defense gave up like 30 points, which was, it was already kind of the Purple People Eaters. They didn't quite have everything there. They didn't have like Paul Krause yet, um, but it was like getting there. So it was a pretty good defense, and giving up 30, especially in that era, was a pretty bad day for them. Um, but like one of those touchdowns was one of those like weird fluky tips that lands right into a receiver's lap, and then he ran for a touchdown. He's behind everybody. Um, so it wasn't like 100% their fault, but it was a rough outing for the defense. But the game also ended on a botched handoff from Joe Cap that he says was his own fault. Um, that ends up recovered by the Packers, and that was the end. That was like the, their last chance to win. That was like their go possible go-ahead drive ended in a fumble that was Joe Cap's fault. It's after the game. Everybody's drinking a little bit. He says, you know, maybe Jack Daniels and Jose Cuervo gotten their uh, got gotten their their ears a little bit in this one. But he's talking to Lonnie Warwick. If you don't know who Lonnie Warwick is, he was a uh, linchpin linebacker on the Purple People Eaters. And Joe Cap says Warwick was his, one of his favorite teammates. Um, so, you know, this was not a contentious thing. This is just how these two guys worked. Um, but Lonnie Warwick was a guy, he worked in sweltering desert heat in the railroads before he came to football and he came to the Vikings on like a tryout because they were an expansion team. Um, this was only a couple of years into their, their tenure and he was like a real world road worker and they needed a fresh body for camp. And he was like, okay, I'll go take a bunch of punishment because I'm insane. And then he became an NFL linebacker and he was phenomenal because this big, mean, burly, you know, guy that could knock you out with one punch. So these two guys get to talking about whose fault the, uh, the, the loss is. And they both blame themselves. Joe Cap says, no, no, no. I fumbled that game away, and I'm sorry, guys. And Lonnie Warwick wouldn't have it. He said, no, man, that was on us. We did, you know, we, we did poorly. You know, the defense wasn't good enough. 
Um, and Joe Cap says, no, it, it was on me. I mean, you guys did enough. We were down three in driving, and I messed it up. And, and they wouldn't give it up. And again, a little uh, lubrication, maybe a little inebriation. But this discussion comes to full-on blows. I must reiterate, this is an NFL linebacker and a quarterback in a full-on fistfight. Like, ima- imagine something like that today. Just try to imagine Kirk Cousins coming to blows with, like, Jordan Hicks over this issue or that one and saying, oh, yeah, they got in, like, a fist fight. And the fist fight, it's not clear who won. <laughs> and you'd think it'd be, like, a foregone conclusion because Joe Cap is a quarterback. But more than a quarterback, Joe Cap is a fighter. Now, the last thing I want to tell you about, again, Joe Cap is a fighter. Uh, concerns his exit from the NFL. Joe Cap left the Vikings. Uh, he didn't like the money. Um, he didn't. He or the the Vikings didn't offer him enough money, and so he goes to free agency. And he goes and becomes a Boston Patriot. The Boston Patriots make him the highest paid player in the league at the time. I think in history in NFL history up to that point. Um, and he plays one year, and it's like fine. And then in his next training camp. He gets called into Boston Patriots office, like front office, somebody's front office, and and uh, they make him sign what was called a standard contract. Um, and it was standard practice at the time, but it was basically something that you had to, you had no choice but to sign. It wasn't a negotiated thing. And it was certain terms about um, like how free agency worked and how much control you had over your own thing. Now, again, remember, this is the guy that thinks like the draft is un-American, which like yep, a little bit. Um, but this is the guy that, you know, he balked when he saw the, um, the, the headlines about his deal with the Oilers following through. It was because it says, well, you know, the Oilers don't no longer have, the Oilers don't have the rights to Joe Cap. And he's like, the rights to Joe, I have the rights to Joe Cap. What do you mean the rights to Joe Cap? So he's a very independent person and he hates team control. This standard contract is all about team control. It's all about the old Roselle rule. If you don't know what you didn't know what the Roselle rule was, essentially, if you were Joe Cap and your contract expired and another team signed you, that team would have to compensate your old team. So when he leaves the Vikings, he goes to the Patriots. The Patriots have to compensate the Vikings with like a draft pick or something. Um, and it essentially makes it a lot harder to get any work when you're a free agent and going into free agency is like not a very good proposition because who wants to give up a draft pick for you? If you let your contract expire, your career might just end. Um, and the risk of it is a lot higher than it is today. Joe Cap hates this. He thinks it's BS. He refuses to sign the standard contract. Um, and his, his agents in his corner too, but Joe Cap's like, I'm, I'm not doing it. You cannot make me sign the standard contract. Well, this was a standard. It was a standardized thing across the entire league. So he could not play until he signed the standard contract. He never signed it, and he never played another snap in the NFL. He ends up going to court over this and essentially suing on the basis of like antitrust that this sort of um, this is basically like a collusion between teams, and it's an it's a the like antitrust act forbids stuff like this to have that much control over like workers where um if Joe Cap refuses to sign the standard contract with the Patriots, other teams you know can't come in and like take him um that's pretty illegal, and the court agrees with him, and he actually wins that lawsuit, 
And the court says, yeah, you can't do this anymore. And that is a grander part of the 1974 strike many years later um, that ends up getting the Roselle rule ultimately repealed. And it sort of helps to shape what we know as free agency today. There needed to be a couple more strikes to really get there. But what we understand is free agency today, where it's truly a bidding war. You know, the, the league year turns over and you are unemployed. Go sign with whoever pays you the most. Um, Joe Cap's actions enable that. And I think without a guy like Joe Cap, I'm not sure if the Roselle rule gets repealed at all for decades. Um, I, I think it has a huge, huge impact on player rights and, and like player liberties in, in the NFL. But it cost him the highest contract in the league. I mean, this would be Patrick Mahomes leaving over a labor rights thing, right? Or whoever the high, I guess it's Deshaun Watson. Oh, phew, yikes. Um, but like, this is, this is the highest played payer and paid player in the league. Um, just peacing out because he doesn't like the contract and he ends up never playing a snap again. He goes and coaches for the, the Cal golden bears. Um, he was the head coach for the 82 Cal golden bears, which you probably know of one play that they did with the band running out on the field. Um, and then he, in his older age, you know, um, he retires from everything and in his older age, he starts to feel the grips of dementia. And that's sort of how the book, how the book ends, the note on which the book ends. You can find the book on Amazon if you want it. I highly recommend it. Joe Cap's the coolest dude in the entire world. He won't back down from anything. He'll fight you if he thinks you're wrong. And um, he has, I'll call him, some pretty good opinions. So uh, I'm i am a big Joe Cap fan. And I hope you are too. Uh, tomorrow, yeah, who knows? We'll talk about something else like this. We'll talk about, I don't know, Irv Smith in the Debo Samuel role or something. I don't know. That's what discourse is nowadays. So we'll, we'll get into it. I'll see you all tomorrow. And as always, skull.